0: to the Recovering Entrepreneur Show. Today I have someone very special with me and I'm excited because she's an expert in something that intrigues me but I don't know that I'm necessarily good at which is (laughs) HR. Good morning Tanya. How are you? Very good. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for asking me. Oh it's (laughs) great. So I, I kind of spoiled it a little and said that you're in the <laughs> HR world, which is so intriguing. And I don't know if it's because I learned so many things the hard way in that atmosphere. And it's a it's a tough but important piece of business, no matter what business we're in. So would you start us off, maybe introduce yourself, say where you're from, and then kind of get us going so we get to know sure. you.
1: Sure. I'm Tanya Wemhoff. I live in the middle of nowhere in Clarkson, Nebraska, and the middle of the USA. Um, I have a real strange background, somewhat. (laughs) I started, I lived in Illinois, moved, and uh, I have a master's in reading and teaching. And I taught in Illinois, moved to Nebraska, and all of a sudden, voila, I I became the owner of a staffing company. So I owned my staffing company for 25 years sold it in 2017, and thinking that I was retired. (laughs) And then a friend of mine came to me who is a a business coach. And she said, I keep getting questions from uh, my clients that are HR related, and I can't answer them. And she said, so, you know, why don't you form a business and we'll just partner and (laughs) we'll go about this so I hemmed and hawed and I decided you know I do have 25 years of experience of owning a business and I do have a lot of HR because I it wasn't a franchise I built it from the ground up you know with all the policies procedures everything else uh, joined American Staffing Association so that we could get some credentials in that and during that time you know the one passion I had for teaching was the aha moments. When you're working with kids, I, my concentration was in reading. So when that light bulb goes on, I go, oh, that's an aha moment, right? Yeah. So when I got into uh, staffing, you still have the aha moment. You know that when you, and more times than not, I had the aha moment because when I'm interviewing people, I have a pretty good habit of wait time. So when I'm asking a question and they answer it, I don't throw another question out there right away because just to see, because people don't like dead air. True. They wanna fill it. So what happens is I find out all this information about the person and it was fascinating because then, oh wow, why did you make that decision? What prompted you to take that class or what prompted you to even apply for that job? So it gave me uh, a more holistic view of the candidates and it gave me a better understanding of where they were going and what they wanted so that when I got a job order from a client, I could interview the client too. And then at the same time, then make better matches so <clears throat> I realized at that point in time, I ha- still had my passion. I still had my connection. And what's really weird is I lived in Columbus, Nebraska at the time, and my business was Staffco. And what happened was, oh, my gosh, there was so much industry. We, we have a, a manufacturing company that builds pickle car machines. Do you know what those are? A pickle car? Pickle car, yeah. Well, it's gambling, so that's why, I, you know, and it, what they are is those little tasks where you pull them, like, almost like a slot machine thing, and they build them from the ground up. We have another company that builds hurdles and uh, for different schools. And I was there taking a tour, and you, if you knew me, you know, I, I, I'm i always curious, right? So I asked this guy, they're painting, they have a the stencil, they're painting the logo on, right? And I said but you already painted the wood. How are you going to get that paint to stick? So we put a little bit of acid in the paint so that when we do the logo and everything, the acid eats into the the paint on the base and it adheres better. You know, little things like that. You know, it's just amazing. So it's passion.
0: I love it. You (laughs) said I guess I didn't even realize until this conversation. And I said to you yesterday that it's going to be a good opportunity to kind of dig in and get to know each other a little better. Yes. What you described is what we do in the VA business. I mean, the the matchmaking. But what I really liked and I'm curious about with this dead air, because now we're going to try it. We're going to try it when we're interviewing just because you told me.
1: So
0: am am I assuming that people will jump in and then just keep rambling on and you get to learn more about them? Is that the premise of it?
1: Yes. In the business world, I probably call it wait time. Okay. Um, But some people don't understand exactly what wait time is unless you explain the fact that it's dead air, meaning that they're not, you know, I'm stopping and I'm expecting more and they know I'm expecting more. So they'll tell me more.
0: Yeah. I I get to
1: know them more. That's, that's
0: great advice. And I'm learning both through my recovery and through entrepreneurness that listening is like one of the biggest skills, that oh. like listening to our clients, listening for feedback, listening to our staff. So it's a great point that you're bringing up.
1: Totally. And now that I've developed this HR uh, consulting business, I realized nobody understands what HR is they don't want to pay for it because you don't get an immediate term return on investment. So I, you know, basically what it is, it's just, it's just uh, employee relations to the point where you, you bring everybody together and they become a team. Same with your VAs. Because when we had a previous conversation, you told me that the person, I think her name was Anna, but I'm not sure, but that's immaterial. She actually interviews and is constantly recruiting to find out what their uh, passion is, what hours they want to work, what their skills are. So you, you're absolutely right. You're doing the same thing.
0: Yeah. We we also, you, when we have our, our team meetings, part of how I have them introduce each other, because they're all in all these different I'm trying to create a corporate environment without them actually physically being in a, in a place, right? Exactly. So they're in private conversations. So they function uh-huh. like a team in the background, but because they don't know each other, every meeting I have them introduce themselves and it's what do they do and what do they like to do? So bringing up that passion part. So they might be a techie, but want to learn copywriting. So that way the rest of the team know. Ah, connection. That- yeah, so that they can help each other that way. Um, you, you brought up a great point about people not understanding the value of HR. Like, that's huge. So when you say that, I, I have some ideas of what I think the value is. Things like okay. and training and those kinds of things. But can you speak to me, if, if you were dealing with an analytical person, say, because I tend to be a numbers girl what would you say to those people about the value of HR? Can you go a little deeper in that? Cause you're the expert, I'm not. I haven't, <laughs> but I'd much rather hear
1: yours. Um, if you're analytical, you're probably uh, referring to return on investment. And some of the stats show that if you have to uh, replace someone in your business, it's gonna cost you 33% of that person's annual salary When you take into the recruitment time, the interviewing, the background checks, the training time, because when you're training, the person that's training them can't do their job. So you lose that aspect, too. But sometimes I think it's even more than 33 percent, because right now we have four generations in the uh, workplace. We have baby boomers. Hello. And <laughs> we're aging out because that goes all the way to 1964, people born then. Then you have Gen X, which is my son. And Gen Xers are pretty close to, to baby boomers and goal setting in that. But then you get into millennials. And I saw an article from Gallup and they broke it down to younger millennials up through 89. And then they have older th- uh, millennials from 89 to 2001. And what they did is they found three criteria that were similar. Okay. And then, so if you're thinking on money and what you're going to get, you're going to have, if you have four generations, you're going to have to think, okay, how do I simulate them? Okay. Cause I've been talking to some banks and what they're having is they're aging out. They're you know, the retention's good, they have good benefits, they have a nice small community, and some of these because uh, I interviewed several small banks, but now they're having to bring new people on. Okay, the new people learn their job as teller, okay, what am I gonna learn now? Well, the older generation doesn't understand, you know, because you know you have your job, you just do your job, right? But you have millennials now that are used to technology and games, right? So if you're going to keep them on board without having to recruit someone else and start all over again, then what you're going to have to do is find a way that you can bring them together. And I have, um, I have a program uh, called Create HR Strategy, and it's all around employee engagement triangle, which is empathy, connection, and communication, which is what you just said. Right. So I think it's awesome that you're taking that corporate and you're trying to pull them together. It's just like remote workers. So I'm kind of digressing. Sorry about that. So if you go back to the millennials, OK, the top three on um, baby boomers and genera- Gen X, the number one thing is ethical leadership. It's number two for millennials. Mm. So You have commonality. So you want to find those commonality. Right? The second, in, the second thing for boomers and Gen Xers is, um, it just skipped my mind. Let me think just real quickly. Uh, oh, well-being. And well-being is number two for the Gen Xers. So see, they're very similar, right? Right. So if you're gonna have a good return on your investment, not have the turnover, not have the poor performance because you lose money when they don't perform and not have the absenteeism, then you're gonna have to get connect them or get them engaged. So if you start looking at those commonalities. Now the third one, um, I know on the millennials, it's, it's interesting because the younger ones um, want something different than the older ones. The older ones want clarity and transparency. And I think a lot of that is because, you know, having going through COVID, everybody's scared about their job. Yeah. You know, as my company, oh, financial stability is the other one. So those are the three. And so here you have employees that have gone through COVID. Some of them wasn't affected. But now, like for instance, in Columbus, they weren't affected as much because they had essential business. Okay? So they have manufacturing, but now they're working six days a week to get the product out so they're having burnout. Uh, so um, sure famine. also,? Huh? Easter famine, it sounds like. Exactly. So you have all these variables. they all affect the bottom line because they affect burnout. If you have burnout then, and absenteeism, those, that means those people are looking for other jobs, which means you have to recruit again. And then you also have the issues with poor performance. They're not engaged. They're just kind of going through the motion because they got families at home. They they don't know if they're going to get sick. They don't know if they're going to have to go home and take care of them. They don't know if the company is going to be financial stable. They're not sure. They don't know if their job is going to be there because with new tech technology, are they even going to be able to do it? Right. So does that kind of, it's kind of in circles. Sorry about that, but. No, I I totally get what you're saying.
0: And we're talking about companies that have more than one employee, of course. Right. And, and trying to to marry the like values. And I like that because it's been my understanding as the Googles and the Facebooks and all those come up. And I, I was very fortunate I got to tour Google's Wow, workplace in Illinois. I met a man on a plane and he let me go visit. (laughs) That's That's awesome. awesome. I'm real shy, you know, but it was really interesting. And I was like, really impressed, you know, the free food and the massage and, and what, what everybody is saying the millennials want. Right. But then when we had a real conversation, he's like, yeah, Bobby, they want to feed us. They want to give us everything. So we never go home and we work more. So it's, it's a business strategy. It, it looks like all bells and whistles right. and fluff on the outside, but there's really a, a strategic part to that. And as I'm picturing someone who might have a family, they're not going to want to be at the Google building 14 hours a day. They want to yeah. go home to their kids. So you're bringing up a great point. I'm wondering if we could go a little deeper though, on the, the solopreneur or the small business, like, can we talk a little about how sure. impacts them or why it would be important for them to at least get counsel or coaching on this. I mean, you and I both have decades of experience messing with this HR stuff. So a small yeah. business owner in the kind of world we're living in, they can't go back to college for four years to learn the laws and the this and the acts and all of that. So so what would you say would be a good strategy for them or a place to start or the bare minimum for them to protect themselves?
1: Well, if it's just you, um, it doesn't come in and as much into play, but you have to start thinking down the road, like you're saying. Um, a lot of people will pay for a SHRMAS, uh membership, which is a Society of Human Resource Management, and that'll give you information, but it doesn't tell you how to apply it. Ah. So... Um, Like right now, I belong to a personnel association in Columbus. It's a group of HR people. And it wouldn't hurt to reach out and see if maybe you can join. Sometimes they're not very expensive or can go along with purchasing uh, annual sure fee and kind of start listening and just finding out more about what's going on. Because with HR, and and I think Google is kind of missing. misnamed employee engagement because all those freebies are engagement it's happening to one person to me engagement is when they're working together okay so people when they hear employee engagement they think it's fluff they don't realize it's they actually come together so as a, an owner when I first got my first employee she worked part-time and so then I had to start learning okay what are you know the law so far as payments so then i became really close to my accountant okay cuz accounting kind of it fits right in there because you have overtime you have if they're part time you know and you don't get into a lot of laws with health and, and that so you got to find a way either to network work with a local um, group within uh, your community where you can you know be on top of things so that as you start adding employees Then you're aware of what's going on. It doesn't hurt to get a consultant in. I found that as a sole owner, you have all these hats, don't you? You just take them off, put a new one on. (laughs) And so it's like, oh my gosh, I got to go back and do this. So it's hard to keep everything in focus. So if you keep in mind, as you start adding employees, when you start spending more time on employee issues that working in your business that it's time to start looking at a consultant or hiring somebody on. And if you're hiring it, it can be very expensive. That's why sometimes a consultant can help you out. Yeah.
0: The price of not hiring and having that, Uh, I think is more costly. Like that's, that's why we were born, right? Because people didn't know how to interview or or vet right. people or write a job posting i mean there's a whole other skill set outside of this bubble we live in as entrepreneurs especially if like i what comes to mind for me and, and one of my ideal clients is the therapists or the counselors of the world right yes. like a nice crossover between that and coaching well if you went through school that way you're not taking the business classes you're
1: taking the psych classes and and the people stuff right me too. I didn't take the business classes. So then when I started having employees, like, holy crap. You know, you've got all these rules that you have to follow. And for instance, uh and I had I had three offices and I had an employee that sued me for retaliation. Can you explain
0: what that is? Cause I'm sure that legal ramifications is one of the reasons yes. that we need to be seasoned on HR. So can you explain what that?
1: means? Sure. In fact, I found out later that this employee had sued almost every business she worked for. So she was a professional Mm. and, you know, we all have, as you, as a business owner, you have to have um, insurance to cover you for um, situations that maybe you do something wrong or illegal. So I had that, insurance. I had uh, wrongful termination and that would be a situation where I would fire somebody for a reason that wouldn't be legal. So when I got the retaliation, it's similar to wrongful, you know, um, uh, wrongful termination. But what it was, was we had a software and when I, and this is another thing why you should have HR consulting because we used our software where we documented all the information on the person we we're interviewing right well one employee put well this person's one french fry short of a happy meal Ooh. which is a big no-no but in her mind you know she was stressed and she just wanted to put something funny in for somebody else to real read without realizing it was discrimination right yeah. so the gal that sued me had run across some of those and we were trying to delete them because we had, oh my word, what? 30 or 40,000 employee records in our system. So it's not an easy thing to go back through. And uh, so basically when we terminated her for not following our rules or working with her, her manager and buying boots for an employee that she shouldn't have done because then she has to buy boots for every employee she came back and had names in our software of documentation that she felt was wrong. And she uh, said, I was retaliating because she brought that information to my attention and that was why I fired her. So, you know, just here I thought I was protected, right? So even if you are protected, you know, you still might not be, you have to really be careful.
0: Yeah, I learned the hard way. And I don't really share this story too often because it's kind of embarrassing as a supervisor. Well, that was too. <laughs> yeah, it's like, ah. Oh. however, it was a good lesson because now it's me, yes. but I had um, two direct reports and one was being inappropriate with the other. And I thought I handled it with him, but our company policy was that you have to run it through HR. So I actually got documented because I didn't report it the right way. Yes, that's hard to do it myself. Um, the retaliation piece, I don't know that most people would be familiar with that word, that it has to do with um, the person feeling like they're being attacked for some of their behavior, especially if they think they're doing something of good ethic or whatever. So it's tricky. So how, how do we prevent I mean, we can't solve everything, right? But how would you yeah. guess that most people prevent situations like that?
1: Well, I'm a proactive person, and some of my clients are reactive, which is difficult for me because if something goes wrong, then I want to make sure I'm not going to do it again. So a lot of t- I have a lot of checklists. For instance, when you were talking about um, the harassment then I, I have a list that my employee can sit down. They know what questions to ask the victim, what questions to ask the, the person that's doing it. And then you have to follow all the rules. Sometimes you have to get an employment lawyer, which I had to do in, re, in the retaliation situation. Because she waited, There's you have 300 days to report it. So I, she waited till the 300th day, hoping that I had thrown away all my documentation, which I hadn't. So, so
0: documentation is another point.
1: Oh, you've got to document, 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 but you gotta be careful what you document because like, you don't wanna put uh, one french fries short of happy meal, you know? That's just not kosher and it's not right. You right. know, it, you get, you can't be funny when you're doing business. You can, but not documented. Right, right.
0: <laughs> well, the even the boots example, I could see. Yes. It, it, like I think of the world you and I know each other from, it's a bunch of kind, good-hearted people, right? Yes. And I could yeah. see them buying boots, thinking it was a good thing. I could I, I could see that, but them not knowing that all things have to be equal to make sure that we're not discriminating right. or offending someone else. But I don't think that a
1: normal entrepreneur would think about that. No, no. And that's what's hard is is when you're in business, like, I didn't have the background. I didn't have the business courses. So that was one of the reasons when I joined the American Staffing Association being a staffing firm. So, you know, sometimes it's good to maybe even network within um, your category of business because they'll have experiences with HR and everything too. And that might be another way to stay on top of things until you start bringing in more employees.
0: So let's, let's, in my mind, I think there's things you can do before bringing someone on and then while they're working and then what it would look like if you needed to sever a relationship. So again, I have my opinions, but I would love to hear, maybe you can walk us through maybe some of those guardrails we can set as we're interviewing, as we're training, as as that relationship sure. unfolds. That way, if you do get one of these, and and I feel bad saying this, but there seems to be people who are professional, I don't want to say savvy. Troublemakers. That's a good word. Yeah. So how can we protect ourselves from those folks?
1: Um, and there's not a lot of them out there. I, I truly believe overall, and I know you do too, that people are good. Absolutely. You just have those bad apples doesn't matter what color they are but they're there yeah so what I what I did was after I started educating myself on interviewing that because you have to be careful you can't ask any questions about age race you know all those listed on EEOC and, and with that you know like you can't ask oh I see you have a cross on do you go to church here in town you you know thinking okay I'm gonna you know get rapport first before I ask my questions. Well, there's so many taboos anymore that I had a structured interview sheet. So if you're gonna do an interview, you need to pull out your job description, sit down and decide what do you want that person to be able to do? Behavioral questions are good. Um, they're not talking about emotional intelligence. Um, do they, how much empathy do they have? How much stress and interaction with other people they're gonna have? but you have to make sure that you have a structured interview with the questions that they can ask. Because if, for instance, if I interviewed somebody and then let's say my supervisor interviewed, he's not going to have the knowledge I have. So he's going to have to have the questions that he can ask and understand that he can't stray away from it. Right. So that's one way to protect yourself. I'm boarding. I have, uh, I have a real neat checklist on that one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nice. I like, to, I have it set up so it, it happens all the way through past when they start the first day and go, you know, if you, you give them the offer of employment and they accept, and then uh, you go through the process, you, you let them know what documents you need for employment, you get the paperwork all done, and then I send out a welcome email that has an employee interest survey. I want to know their favorite candy bar, what they like to drink, uh, so far as coffee, soft drinks, uh, what are their hobbies. I ask, what is the best way for them to learn? Do, are they, do they feel their visual, auditory, kinesthetic, you know, and maybe give you know, maybe not use the word kinesthetic. I want to know all about them and how they want to be rewarded. Do you like it when you're recognized in front of your peers? Would you rather get an email? Do you like certificates? Do you have to have a trophy? And with that, um, and also maybe get a picture of it. And, and the reason for that aspect is because I, th- when you're, uh, I think what I want, I hadn't done this, but this is what I would have done, is, t- is use that information, put their picture on a page, you know, give some highlights to hobbies and stuff, right? And introduce them to the rest of the, the staff and have it in a book where they could go through and see who the other people are they're working with before they get there, okay? I love it. I love that. I need to do that. Okay. Then also with the welcome thing that that's really cool, and this is for uh, if they're physically going, but you might be able to adapt it for remote. And what I would do is I found with placing people in other locations in my staffing firm, there were a lot of things people worry about. You are starting a new job, you know? Okay, where do I park? Do they have lunch facilities? What do I wear? What door do I go into? Who do I ask for? So I had a a sheet of all those items, everything answered. And then, so with the welcome post, I'd send them those questions and maybe you can find out what, the VA staff, what questions they have before they start so you could answer them ahead of time. So I send those two things out first, what to wear, what shoes to wear, you know, things like that. And uh, so that, and before they get there, then uh, like if it's an office job, then you set up their desk, okay? And you uh, have all the passwords ready. They're all linked in, their calendars all set up with regular meetings. And then I have a gift basket. And in the gift basket, I, I would buy uh, picture frames on sale at Hobby Lobby or somewhere uh, so that they can put the, a picture of their significant other or family. So it makes it a little bit homier. I would maybe have their favorite candy bar and drink. So because your first day is so stressful, sometimes you just need that added, you know, plus to get you through. And before they start, you have a mentor, somebody that's going to work through with them that's going to understand some of their learning style so that when they start training them, they, you know, it's, they start building the relationship and they you make sure, and then you need to go back and find out from the employee, well, do you understand where you're at and why? Because millennials want to know, number one, that their job is important. And number two, they want to know what, where does it fit? And, you know, why am I learning this? So, one thing I found that sometimes gets missed is we need to teach our managers how to relate and how to present the information. We can't expect them to have all the answers. Right. That's gold. I'm going to
0: implement those those two things. I, I know there's an onboarding structure. And I was actually, when I asked that question, I was looking for expectations. So I'm glad that you answered it a little different than how oh. it
1: And then you ask, go ahead. Well, I was
0: curious about, so when you have a difficult person, how you get them out of the organization. And I think it starts all the way at the beginning with, with saying, laying down the expectations, you know, like not just the work expectations, but here's the discipline stuff. Because my belief is we don't fire people, people fire people. Like they have a choice. I've, I've, I've had a sever relationships many times and it got to the point where people say, thank you, because you, they know that you've given them so many chances and you've been, you know, as long as you're being clear and and all of those things. So that was kind of where I was going, because I think, I think as I watch and going back to that basic principle of all people are good and people tend to lead with their heart. They they are. And I've made this mistake. We want to do like be nice or protect the people or, maybe not yell at them or, or whatever those things are not realizing that we're impacting everybody else. Right. Because if you're right. a non-performer because you like them or they do some things good, or because you haven't, if you don't lay down the expectations, you can't go backwards and hold them accountable for something they don't know, Right. Um, but it can be very costly and very, and people do it very personally. I think is what happens. So that was what I was curious about. Was your thoughts on
1: now? There's two trains of thought. I, I'm glad you brought that up because it is a thought. I have one client that believes in progressive discipline. When I was a business, I didn't use progressive discipline. Number one, uh, it with, with my staff. I really didn't. I didn't have control over the people out in the field, but. And my thought was, I didn't. If you have progressive discipline, you have to go through every single step. And the old adage, hire slow and fire quick, is more true at times than you think. So I wanted to have the freedom to sit down and talk with them, you know, see where they're at. I think personally, I wished I was even better at it. Because I think that's a talent, like you said perfectly. You know, mm-hmm. if you sit down. Okay, this is what's expected, and that's why um, I've changed my mind about performance reviews, which ties into that. Instead of annual and having it tied to salary, I think it would be better if um, I did it. And I wish I had done this every three months. And instead of because I can only think back three months. Or well, I remember something bad that happened, what, six months ago, and we corrected it. Why are we bringing it up now? Right. So um, I was reading up on it, and what they, you, you have to have trained managers again. And the manager and the employee sits down and sets goals, which hits the expectations. And you have a flow, and the performance reviews would be shorter. And then you take all the information from each quarter at the end, and you can still use it for uh, pay raises or whatever you want, but you have more data. So with that in mind, um, you know, you you have to set up your own rhythm. you have to communicate. But if you're going to terminate somebody, you never do it alone. Mm. You have got to have one other person so you don't have a he said, she said situation. It's also my understanding if it's,
0: and I know this is getting probably, I, I hadn't thought of this until just this moment. Uh-huh. I was grow, I was brought up that you, like if I was hiring a man, I should have another man in the room, like another supervisor, or if it was a man firing a woman, especially have another woman in the room, right? Just uh, the witness should usually be leadership and, and same sex. I don't, I think now that things are involving the sex part probably doesn't even matter as much.
1: This is my old school training. Yeah. This, this, the sex, I think of, of the person that's in there with you doesn't matter. I think as much um, with my having like 12 employees in three or I had four different locations at one point um, when I had to, which I hated to do if, if I had to release someone, I pulled my accounting person in, she wasn't involved with the person, so she didn't have any bias either way, Um, a leadership person would be good, it's hard, you don't want to bring in a coworker unless, you know, right, if at all possible, I mean, you could be in a situation where you don't have any choice, and it's better to have an extra person in there than not,
0: yes. I had another question and I lost it. Oh, the performance reviews. Again, this is personal experience. Sure. Go through here. So, in my last company, we had annual that were tied uh-huh. to uh, our salary. And there's a couple. There's a couple things that I wasn't crazy about. So I'll share with them and then just sure. Share thoughts. So one was they had a budget for raises. Right. So mm-hmm. let's say it was one hundred thousand dollars. Reviews would be done by different supervisors and there was only X amount of money in the bucket. Right. So you could be a superstar, but just get the same raise as a different manager evaluating different. That's too afraid to address the issues that maybe should have scored them lower. So that was one of my pain points. Then they changed it. We still had our annual, which tied to our compensation. They tried the um, quarterly, but then when your supervisor doesn't give you one, it is so diminishing. I'm not important enough for you to tell me what I'm doing for you. You could, I could feel my emotion on it. It's such a hot topic. Like, why discount me? Like, you're the supervisor. You need to take action. It's your responsibility that I'm getting the
1: feedback that I need. In my humble opinion. <laughs> so, what do you I think? T- I totally agree with you on the, when I had did annual, I hated it. For a whole month, it, it kept popping up on my calendar, popping up. <laughs> oh, I don't want to do that right now. <laughs> you know, I even tried to tie it to the, the job description, and I didn't feel any happier about that either. And that's why they suggest not tying. I think it's really tough. How can you take a budget and then try to disperse it? you should, you know, plan out ahead of time. Okay, uh, this is the standard um, that we're gonna use, but we can go above and below depending upon uh, the results. But I always found that, that uh, you know, if, if you're gonna do quarterly, like I think would be awesome, then the upper management has to hold the other, they have to hold the, the other managers accountable, that they have to turn that in, right? And if you set it up whereby they're setting goals, then there's going to be more interaction because the employee knows what's expected. Okay, I have to know this by then. And if they don't, they can feel free. There has to be a relationship where they can come to them and say, hey, I can't get this. I'm not going to be able to achieve it. And the manager says, okay, let's take a a different look at it. Okay, what is it? that you're lacking that we can help you or train you in to get you to that point. So it's more of a relationship rather than a performance review, if you know what I'm saying. But you got to hold them um, accountable. The other thing is with my interest survey that I did at the beginning, um, targeted uh, targeted reinforcement is so important if you see somebody doing a good job okay and they've been working on their goal and you see give them a candy bar that they like hey I noticed that right and they say wow you remember this is what you know that this is something I really like
0: I love that I so love that positive reinforcement is is so important and I think if I look back at my younger leadership skills and <laughs> my older seasoned leadership skills, it's definitely something that's become more of a priority. Yes. Um, my values have become how I, how I've been treated, the good I want to duplicate and the bad I want to never treat my employees that way. That's just where I've landed at this stage in my life. And I can see the shift as a, I think I'm a Gen Xer, right? So how it was from, especially coming from grocery. So <laughs> yeah, grocery, right? So there was the good old boys. You had you yes. had a know, that's who got promoted. Girls were just, it, it just wasn't, I don't know. They it weren't done. Yeah, they weren't the zone directors. They weren't the leadership of the company. And even now I still wonder, I'm going a little off the rails here, but I still wonder how many big organizations are actually promoting the women or diversity of any kind for that matter based on performance or if they're just doing it to play the game and
1: and show, right? Like it's just, it's so- It's hard. It's really hard, especially when you think of a corporation as a cruise ship. It's really big, it's top heavy, right? So this cruise ship is going through, moving along in the water. It doesn't move very fast and it certainly can't turn very fast, right? So you're absolutely right. The corp- big corporations are gonna probably want to do the change but it's gonna take a lot to g- get down there to promote women and you know, more diversity in that. But if, there, if that's a goal of theirs, then that's fantastic. The smaller businesses like us, we're more like tugboats, okay? We can make decisions, we can change things up. And so it's, it's a lot easier. So I know exactly what you're saying. And, and I see a lot now, I, I don't like the separation uh, that's going on within our country because um, I'm from Illinois, so there was more diversity there than there is in Nebraska, right? And it's, you know, so, you know, I, 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 I don't know that I really recognize, I mean, I grew up during the time of Black Power, you know, and everything during the riots in the 60s and stuff. So I thought we had gone beyond that, but now we seem to slip back. But I think it's important to keep in mind, you know, women and um, diversity. I know as a woman business owner, starting my business in '90. Three, it was difficult working with men sometimes because they didn't value me as much. But I I do see a change. But it's something I think is going to be like the big, you know, cruise ships. It's going to take a lot more time. Yes. You,
0: my brain just keeps racing because there's so much. (laughs) I want to get as much of the good stuff. I might have to bring you back on because there's so much in this topic that is wonderful. I, it's important that we talk about this stuff. So I'm going to just yes. put it out there. Um, again, my experience as a supervisor, I ran a, a, a mixed team. Mm-hmm. And one of my struggles was at the time I'm in my thirties, I'm paying my way through college in my thirties. Okay. And I'm the supervisor that gets the scholarships that only go to part of the team. So it's almost like reverse discrimination almost, you know, here's, here's all these above and beyonds for, you know, this population. And then there's this other population that doesn't, it, it feels almost like this population isn't getting rewarded. So I, I struggle with some of that, like how is it equal if it's not equal? And, and being a woman, right, it would be the same way. Well, if I was a man looking at me, well, why did she get XYZ and I didn't? So it's so tricky. And I guess I just wanted to call that out because it's no different than the person who is getting reviewed and a good raise or, or rewarded when they're not performing as well as this other person. So the high performers tend to get frustrated. So I think mm-hmm. it... It's just such a tricky world right now.
1: Well, and in HR, you know, what it basically is, it's just it's not recruiting, hiring, and firing. It's more, it's it's keeping your team together. And like you said, in that situation, there's going to be people that feel that they were gypped or didn't get a fair shake. And I think it's because we I think we're just now starting to recognize that you know yeah we we did this we opened it up maybe to some women to some guys whatever but I think we have to relook at that and see how instead of it just using it as a reward how can we use it as an incentive or something that because right now with the new generation they want a career they want development they're not going to stay for 30 40 years anymore no no they they're going to get what they can and move on to another company, which is okay if we look at them. And for instance, when I own my staffing firm, it's hard to find managers, right? So I needed a manager for my corporate office. And I really liked this gal. She was really good. She had a degree, um, but degrees weren't everything to me. I wanted to know a person that would actually, I wanted somebody loyal, someone that would own their job which is very difficult to find. And I knew that her husband worked for a company that uh, in a short time, they're gonna be transferred. So I wasn't gonna have her a long time. So I kept not hiring, but her because of that. And then I hired her. She was with me for nine months, restructured the whole process to fit her. She owned her job, she inspired her staff. I learned so much from her. And just watching her grow and giving her because um, all my staff had to get their certified staffing and professional so that they understood state and federal laws and understood how to help their employees. So even though I imparted that to my staff, I mean, she took it even further. So I think what we have to realize, OK, this person isn't going to be here for that long, but that doesn't mean we don't help them develop their career. And some of these things like scholarships and that, you know, even classes, I, I'd, I'd sign my staff up for, if they were interested in class, I'd allow them to take it. It may, you know, I try to get it. So it was ones that fit my business, but like you said, it doesn't, you know, doesn't have to, I mean, we need to think of developing the person and not just, you know, the job.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely an advocate for that. But it's hard it is hard. And I was fortunate. The company, even though it had the things that I was frustrated with, they did have a college tuition reimbursement oh, awesome. plan as long as it tied in. So, you know, they definitely helped with my my college and then just the practical learning that you get from working in that kind of environment. All right, Miss Tanya, we're getting close <laughs> to wrapping up. Um, Is there anything that you want to put out there that I might not have remembered to ask before I ask you my fun little question?
1: Uh, Right now, not that I can think of, just that I really love working with businesses and making these changes. Even I was so inspired by you by saying, oh, I can take this. I can tweak this. And that's really what I want to do in my business is give ideas and help the businesses tweet them to fit because I don't know how many times I get I go to a workshop, I get all excited, oh, good, I'm gonna do this, my staff is gonna love it. And you get to the real world and you can't implement it, you don't have time to, and it ends up in the drawer. Mm-hmm. So my whole goal is for that. And I'm sorry, I was totally
0: selfish. I didn't go down the can you chat for just a minute, maybe about how? <laughs> You help entrepreneurs and how they can find you. Like what is what
1: does your gig look like for those who need help with HR? Um, my website is is uh My email is right there on my Zoom, Tanya at wemhoffconsulting.com And um I can do, you know, sometimes small businesses just need an employee handbook or a job description so i can do those different pieces with no problem but i've also created a signature system a, a six-month program whereby um it's called create and basically you connect your culture and your vision you recruit the right person you elevate your evaluate your training um you have uh, appreciation that is targeted and you have to measure, not just by billing and everything else, but look at other aspects that you want to measure. So those, basically it's just taking what the company probably has already created. And all we're doing is looking at it and finding a way to tweak it and implement it so that now we're like, for instance, my mission and my vision were on the wall and a nice neat frame, <laughs> did I ever look at it? Did we talk much about it? No so now i would have a vision script so it's like a warm chocolate chip cookie you know what that smells like you know what it tastes like you may not be able to do that with a vision but if they if they can visualize the whole thing and that's what i want to do i want to take the topic of culture and vision make it like a chocolate chip cookie so that not just the management knows but the employee is, oh this is where we're going my job my job fits here i'm important I can do this and they come together. So it's just taking what you have, implementing it in a way that everybody comes together engaged.
0: Love it. Love it. And that's so needed, especially the direction we're going. Thank you so much, Tanya.
1: All
0: right. Here's my fun question. Uh Uh-oh. I'm nervous. It doesn't have to be business related. As this is such a big part of my personal development. So this is maybe a little selfish question, but we also the audience. What is your favorite book? And of course, I'm asking a reader, a professional reader teacher. So uh,
1: if you're talking fiction, I love Courting Trouble by Lisa Scott and And if you're talking business, I like the book Traction. And I can't remember who wrote it. I have it in my I'll send you a, I've heard of that one. It's before. Gino. His first name is, I think it's Gino Wickman, but I'm not sure about the last name. Okay. But it's fantastic. Uh, It's a gentleman that is a second generation. He was taking over the business and he had to create a system for himself to be able to understand how it operated and bring everybody together. So it's really good.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I add them to my audible for me to listen, uh, which is part Mm -hmm. of why I drive around the country so much. And uh, then my audience will put a link for them to uh, get the books to check out. So it's part of part of my funness. Hopefully we're inspiring people to get more relaxing with the fiction and more education with the nonfiction. It's good stuff. So, well, thank you so much for being here today, Tanya. Like I said, I have a feeling I could bring you back and we can talk for hours because I love (laughs) this topic. It's so important. So I'm honored to have you on the show and I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for having me on. I had a blast. I really found out more about you too. (laughs) I you, it's just a conversation. Yes, totally. It's my first one, so thank you very much.
0: Well, you did excellent. <laughs>